I'm happy to have on the show today, Jamie Smith. He's the VP of Product Management at Amandra, which gives AI the power of reasoning. And we were just talking about the mega trend that is now AI and the evolution of AI over the past decade that he's been in the industry. Yeah. Hey, Chad, it's great to be here. And yeah, I think it is a really interesting evolution that I've lived through with AI. I'm sure there's many of your listeners and viewers that have gone through similar journeys, and I'd be really excited to hear about those. But I got my start with AI about a decade ago or so doing predictive maintenance. So machine learning and predictive maintenance for determining the health of assets, like rotating equipment, like power plants, other assets, like the power grid to use data to analyze that data and then determine how long an asset's going to be healthy out there in the field and what you might need to do to repair it. And as we got into that, AI was incredibly powerful, but there are all kinds of challenges with the looking at the data that was coming off these devices, if there was any variance with the way sensors were mounted or the orientation, but the comparisons and the analytics to be much more challenging and sometimes it was invalid. But what we did over the long haul is we started to ask questions. Okay, this data analysis component of AI is super exciting. What can we do to apply it to other applications like controls applications, where people are using information to then control some type of actuator? And there's a classic controls problem, which is called the inverted pendulum, where you basically try to balance a pendulum which is a rod using a one-axis motor system. And it's the classic controls design problem. We use traditional control design techniques. And members of my team, they said, hey, let's take a look at AI and see if this can solve this problem. They, in an afternoon using the TensorFlow tools, were able to create an algorithm using AI, a little neural network that did that inverted pendulum problem and solved that application. It's like, wow. This AI thing is going to be huge. And then the question is, what do we do with it? How do we leverage this thing? How do we turn it into a viable business? And that's been part of the journey over the last, last decade. So you've seen this move into the trend status that we're currently in. Yeah, I have. And we all know that the automotive industry, neural networks are used quite extensively in the perception stack of a vehicle where they're basically using cameras and convolutional neural networks behind those to do classifications of objects, determine what's open road, what's a car, what's a truck, what's a person, what's a stoplight, what's a stop sign, and so on. And so I've been heavily involved in that space for a long time. And perception has been a huge challenge for that industry as people have been trying to refine those stacks and dealing with challenges like incomplete data and the overall complexity of trading these systems. It's a really challenging problem. And one of the ways that they evaluate how well they're doing is by looking at how often they classify something incorrectly. And that's a pretty in unsatisfactory or unsatisfying way to give yourself a grade. You take a step back and go, all right, we're getting it right 97% of the time. You're like, what about that? percent can be a little bit concerning. And so as the industries evolves and these type of systems that continue evolving, the begs question, how do we get to AI that we can, and also how do we expand the data sets? So we're making sure that we're 
testing our AI systems on complete real world data sets and not just evaluating ourselves against a small collection of information or a small collection of data. So that challenge has been weighing on me for quite, quite a long time. And now with the generative AI around large language, large language models like ChatGPT and BARD and others, now we're seeing all sorts of amazing technology, but then the concerns also are really coming to light where we're seeing these things give incorrect responses with confidence as well as just flat out hallucinating and com creating completely fabricated information. And that can be highly concerning and leads to a lot of challenges. So how do we fix that? Because it's pulling in all this data from all over the internet True. and utilizing that. And then also you said creating phantom data based off of figuring out what's coming next. So what are the solutions? I think it's important before we start criticizing these things too much is to realize what they do incredibly well. These large language models are very good at generating language and doing translation. So they can move from one data set to another and translate that in a format that's human readable and understandable. And that's an incredible strength. But what they can't do is they can't perform reasoning or handle logic problems. And that's why I came and joined Amandra, which is an AI company that does a branch of AI called Symbolic AI or Automated Reasoning, where their branch of AI isn't statistical. Sure. It's actually based on Symbolic AI, which is mathematical in nature, computational in nature. And with our form of AI, we actually prove the correctness of systems. It's the same type of approach that was used to prove the correctness of autopilot systems back in the 80s and early 90s. Similar techniques are used in chip design. After the Pentium bug of 1994, that industry went through an evolution or revolution where they started to migrate from traditional vector-based testing to include symbolic AI and automated reasoning within the design tools. And that's worked incredibly well in that industry. And for the last 20 years, people have been asking questions, can we apply this type of approach, this type of technique to general purpose algorithms and general purpose software, and even to statistical AI? And that's what we're doing now. We're seeing really exciting results with using symbolic AI and automated reasoning with neural networks and using symbolic AI automated reasoning with large language maps. So the symbolic AI, is this, we have these models like chat GBTs, which as mm -hmm. you said, if you know how to use them properly, they add value. So I'll give you a real case for us is we're going to take this transcription from what's yep. podcast we're doing right now. We're going to provide it to it and we're going to say, make a summary. And it's going to give a great summary of what we spoke about today. Yeah. Whereas symbolic is more of a critical thinking mathematical scientific model? Yeah, it is. And it's based on functional programming and it's about proving correctness and ensuring that the results are correct. And one of the early examples that we did with a large language model is we gave it a logic program that I think all of us could understand. It was creating a seating chart for a relatively large event. I think all of us have been to some type of event like a wedding or some other 
award ceremony. And you may have a bunch of constraints. You may want certain family members to sit together, certain family members not to sit together. Maybe children involved. Those children have to sit with their parents. There may be partners that are no longer together and you want to make sure they're not at the same table and so on. And people go through the, the challenge of creating these seating charts and putting people together. And it's a difficult task. It's a manual task. But if you give a list of constraints to ChatGPT or Bar or these other large language models and say, hey, give me a seating chart, it'll say, here you go. And you'll go through it and by the second table, you realize the mistake was made, right? Where maybe a kid is sitting alone without a parent or maybe the divorced couple are sitting together. So what we have found is that the large language model is phenomenal at translating the natural language constraints and the natural language problem into formal semantics, which is what symbolic AI uses to reason about the problem. And then it's very good at converting it back to natural language. So with the module, what we use is if you had a logic problem that you wanted to put on the table and have something like ChatGPT format for you and give you an answer, we would build a skill behind that problem that would allow you to set up the relationships, the constraints, the other components of the system. And in the case of the seating chart, we put together relationships where people have to sit together, relationships where they can't sit together, table sizes, and other constraints. And then we can use a chat GPT interface to enter those constraints, just natural using natural language. And then you get your results back formatted any way you like, because we know when we get a result from a large language model, it's very easy to ask that large language model to reformat it in a different way for us. And that type of thing, it handles incredibly well. The third component that needs to be added to these systems when they get large and complex is memory. We need to use things like a vector database to store large amounts of data, large amounts of information that can be converted from that data set into the formal semantics reasoned about, and then convert it back to natural language. You can use that and extract the information that you need from it with confidence. And it's very seldom where you use a large language model and you ask a question and if it doesn't know the answer, it tells you. Typically, you'll ask the question and it'll give you an answer whether or not it has confidence in that answer or not because it can't, it can't think logical problems. But with our approach, you'll get back that your, the constraints and the information you provided, there is no answer to that problem. And then you can continue to refine it. So we're super excited about that type of work that we're doing. And we're also incredibly excited with the work that we're doing and eliminating bias, exposing bias within neural networks as well. And if we have time, I'd like to chat about that a little. Yeah, we definitely can on the neural networks. Yeah, because again, I think you're, you're a pretty sophisticated audience, but people may not understand exactly how neural networks work. There's data flowing into these systems. And then there's oftentimes multiple layers of what we call neurons, these little computational elements where the information passes through. And then there's some kind of classification that happens. Yeah, where there may be a particular outcome that's being determined. And as it flows through this neural network, we don't really know why the incoming data ends up in the classification that it results at. And it's trained through using a particular data set. 
and then the system is validated, and then it can go through maybe a final testing phase with, with an isolated set of testing data. But again, the explainability, uncovering the bias in the system can be really challenging. And so what we've done is we've actually built systems where we can take a neural link, an architecture of a neural network, then we can replicate it, the architecture in a symbolic AI implementation, and then transfer those weights that are used within your neural network when you train your neural network to do, as well as activation functions for your neural network. And then we can do reasoning about it. We can actually prove things that are true about your neural network or actually ask questions and say, for these types of inputs, is it always true when inputs are within these ranges that you all... And we've used that with data sets for oncology, if you're looking for tumors, skin cancer, tumors and anomalies on the skin. We've also used it to analyze a large data set out there around predicting forest fires. And in both cases, we, we had some interesting results. And the forest fire case, we actually learned that there was bias in the data set that led to illogical results. And it's primarily because the data set was incomplete. They didn't have enough forest fire data for the months of October through February, the winter months. Would this be a proper visualization of how a neural network works? And you tell me, let's say constellations and every star in the sky is a neuron or a point of contact. And the mappings or lines between each star, those are the neurons. And so the language model goes through and tries to pinpoint and then come out with an answer. Yeah, I think in the case, I haven't thought about it that way before, specifically with neural networks, it's typically rows of neurons lined up one after another and information flows into all the neurons and then flows to the next neurons and flows to the next neurons. Uh, but every time it goes through a particular neuron, a binary decision is made of where to go next. And it's very difficult to understand when you have a very deep, very large neural network pushing through large data sets to know what's happening. So if you think back to your star analogy, I think conceptually that can be pretty good because if you can think of something being thrown out into the night sky and you can't see it anymore and then something comes back, for the night sky and since here's your answer, you look at it and say, maybe that's right, but how did you get there? And there's very little information that can be provided. And so many people are asking that, how can we trust these things to control our power grid? How can we trust these things to diagnose some medical condition? How can we trust these things to even decide who's going to get a loan approved at a bank? if we don't actually know how they work. So we're digging in deep to try to answer those questions. Are these things accurate? Are they correct? Do they match human intelligence and human intuition? And when they don't, try to help explain why they don't and then come up with techniques to maybe we need to synthesize more data. Maybe we need to go back and get more real world data, continue to trace. What are your views on the activity NVIDIA is getting around AI right now? I, I don't know if I want to speak specifically about one company, unless there's a really pointed question you're trying to ask, but they're definitely doing a lot of impressive work on, on the perception side for the automotive space. So they're one of the main engines for these autonomous vehicles with NVIDIA. And they're also doing a really good job at 
simulated environments where they're creating uh, simulated-based testing, but also simulated-based training. And some of the recent things I've seen from them have been incredibly impressive, where they'll take a, a robotics controller that's trying to deal with multiple obstacles and train this thing through thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of scenarios completely in a simulated environment. And so I'll make some comments that the techniques that they're doing around training AI through complete simulation, incredibly impressive. The architectures they're building to actually run these models that inside real systems like ours, incredibly impressive. So they're an incredibly impressive company, but they're not the only company out there that's doing great. Companies doing great, right? Yeah, I, the reason I brought it up is that we we're talking about the megatrends and how this is getting so much hype right now. And yeah. they're like the epitome of getting the hype and absorbing all of it as much as possible. Yeah, and it's, I think it's good with good reason, right? They built some great technology. They've made some phenomenal investments. And fundamentally, they the Reitzer is a hardware company and they very early on in their evolution, realize that software is going to eat the world. Everything's going to be software centric. You may have heard the term that the software defined vehicle is being used a lot in automotive and in other vehicle spaces. We see software touching every aspect of our life. And most people don't even realize how much software they interact with every day. And I think one of the things we can take away from NVIDIA is they saw this evolution and trend happening in the marketplace and they got in front of it. You could take a look at another great company, Intel, right? They're a phenomenal company too. Hardware-centric, hardware roots, but they don't have the same software position as NVIDIA has. So if we think of strategic di direction, strategic decisions, I think we can look at NVIDIA and ask questions, how did they get there? How did they outpace some of the hardware competitors in the market? Because clearly they have. Clearly they have. Yeah, those are some good takeaways, right? And then you start applying that to your own businesses and your own fields of study. Yeah, and, and I think that's one of the things from this AI evolution. You know, I talked about challenges and megatrends, and it's one thing to see a trend. It's one thing to get in front of it. It's another thing entirely to figure out how to map it to the marketplace, how to map it to a need and help somebody address a challenge or a problem. Maybe it's an unmet need in our personal lives. Maybe it's an unmet need for business, but that's the real trick, right? If you understand the trends and you can get excited about them and really geek out about it, that's one thing. But turning it into real business is a challenge. And I think a lot of us have these in-home assistants, right? These use natural language processing where we give commands to, and it gives us answers. And I think that many of us may have saw natural language as a trend and saw it as something that was coming, but only a handful of companies had the forethought and foresight to actually turn it into this home assistant that people are going to use to ask simple questions. And now they're in a position where the questions can get more sophisticated and more complex as the models continue to increase in complexity. And what we're going to try to do is help get answered in it. Definitely. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with Amandra and learn more about the company, how could they do? Yeah, I think the best thing to do is to go to Amandra.ai and just go to our homepage. You're going to see some really exciting things we're doing with natural language 
and large language models and automated reasoning, they'll explain some of the things I've talked about in extremely greater detail and precision that I was able to do today. And I also encourage folks here that are listening to podcasts to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. I'd love to have a conversation through the messaging within LinkedIn, or if it warrants it, set up on a side, side conversation. Always like talking about these things and learning what you're doing as well. Thanks, Jamie, for coming on the show. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Failing Success. Make sure to smash that subscribe button. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki with Cosmic Web Design and Development, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.